This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 116, I just had to go and check that, of the Sustainable-ish podcast. It's really marvellous to have you here. Thank you as ever for joining me. Now today, we are going to dive into energy prices, gas prices, energy firms going bust, green energy tariffs, should we still be switching to a green energy tariff, all the questions that hopefully you might have, or certainly that I had, around uh, what quite is going on with the energy uh, network here in the UK at the moment, why things have got in quite such a pickle, and whether I should still be giving out my number one piece of advice to everyone as switch to a renewable energy tariff. Spoiler alert, not at the moment, or certainly not financially at the moment, if you're um, on a budget, shall we say. Luckily, you haven't just got me muddling my way through this. I'm delighted to be talking to John Fletcher from Big Clean Switch, who are a green energy comparison site and who we've had on before to talk about that very thing, to talk about switching to a renewable energy tariff and how these guys can make it so much easier for you. But I think there's probably a lot of um, uncertainty, to say the least, at the moment. And Uh, Maybe, you know, a loss of confidence in some of those renewable energy companies and tariffs, maybe. So I thought it would be good to get John on to have a chat to try and explain to us exactly what's happening uh, and, you know, whether whether switching is the thing to be doing at the moment. And if it's not, then I guess what we ought to be doing instead. So I really hope that this episode answers lots of your questions, clears up lots of your confusion as well. I certainly felt a little bit better informed by the end of it and a little bit more confident maybe about the advice that I'm giving out to people uh, about switching and that kind of thing. So I hope that you will feel the same way. As ever, please, if you enjoy this episode, please do leave a rating and a review. Please do share it with friends and families. And let's see if we can get more ears on the podcast and more bums on the sustainable-ish bandwagon. Um, So thanks for tuning in. Enjoy this episode and I will catch you next time. Hi, John. Welcome to Sustainable-ish. Lovely to have you here. Uh, Nice to be here. Thanks, Jen. And this is the second time Big Clean Switch have been on because we've talked previously about all about switching and how to switch. And we're going to talk a bit about switching um, today, but in the context of, I don't even know how you describe it, uh, what's going on with the energy system, <laughs> everything that's going wrong at the moment. <laughs> but how are you? <laughs> yeah, very good, thank you. It's, it's, it's interesting times, but uh, I guess 
one of the challenges uh, we've always had in, in you know running an energy business has been that it's the last thing anyone wants to talk about in the mm. pub and, uh, and and that's changing now so you know we're, it's nice to be uh, you know in an industry that's front page news every day for once uh, even if for all the wrong reasons so for anyone who um for some reason isn't an avid fan and hasn't listened to the entire back catalogue um can you tell us a little bit about who you are and a little bit about big clean switch yeah, sure. So uh, starting with Big Clean Switch, uh, we're a B Corp. So that's a um, profit with purpose business uh, that uh, exists to try to make it easy for homes and businesses to switch to affordable, low carbon energy products. In terms of what we do for households, we run a, uh, a comparison platform that vets suppliers that before listing them on the platform to make sure that they meet very strict environmental criteria and also uh, strict uh, customer service uh, criteria and uh, try by doing that to simplify the process for households in identifying green tariffs because my own experience prior to setting up Big Clean Switch had been that there seemed to be so many different shades of green and competing Mm. claims that it's almost uh, disempowering and leaves you thinking I you know I just don't know what to do so you end up doing nothing yes and so our goal from the outset was to say, well, all people really want to know is whether something is or isn't good for the environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we will absorb all of that complexity in uh, for them and just have a very clear sort of binary, you're in or you're out mm-hmm. uh, set of criteria that simplifies the process for people. And then they can focus on, you know, switching and then getting on with their lives. Because, you know, as, <laughs> as, as I just mentioned, <laughs> energy, whilst it excites me, is not something that's kind of top of everyone's thinking list. So, yes. um, yeah, make it as easy as possible for people to do the right thing and then let them get on them, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, as you said, we're recording this um, sort of beginning, well, sort of mid-October, isn't it? And it's been a fairly tumultuous chaotic I'm not quite sure how you'd describe it last few weeks within the the sort of energy sector and that's had a real impact on lots of people in terms of um, their energy providers and in terms of their bills I don't really understand what's going on I hear about you know gas price hikes and and Russia I don't know like tell me tell us what's going on why why are we having all these issues Uh, well in part and I'm bound to say this uh it's because of our chronic reliance on imported fossil fuels. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, so the reason that's causing a problem is we rely on gas for many of us to heat our homes and mm. to, to run businesses. But as the UK has thankfully moved away from coal uh, to generate electricity, we also use gas to generate quite a lot of the electricity in the UK. And so gas influences both uh, electricity and gas prices. Okay. And as we went through the sort of I suppose dent in production caused by COVID right we didn't continue to build up our gas reserves in the UK our ability to do so is actually much more limited than it used to be and as the global economy has accelerated as we came out of COVID demand for gas across the world has has risen combined with a number of other uh, outages which quite commonly get referred to as a perfect storm which is probably a fairly accurate description so our Nuclear power stations have gone down in some cases for maintenance. Um, there was a fire at uh, a the, the, the station for what's called an interconnector, which is basically a big electricity pipe from Europe. And 
global geopolitics is playing its part. So um, one of the biggest influences on gas prices has been Russia, supply from Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russia has a undersea pipeline for gas that connects into Germany, and then the gas is distributed across Europe called Nord Stream 1. Uh, they built a second one uh, called Nord Stream 2, which the German government has not yet approved for use. And the potential wins in terms of Russia's ability to sell gas into Europe for them are huge. And so there is a general acceptance, although obviously nothing's been explicitly stated, that uh, Russia has been limiting the supply of gas through the first pipeline in order to try to put pressure on particularly the German government, but but all of Europe, in order to release more more gas, which um, has driven up the price of gas by astronomic amounts. What tends to happen during the year is that the summer will be a period during which gas reserves across Europe are built up. Right. and winter will be the absorption of those gas reserves. And so, so you say reserves are built up, like it's literally there's a big storage centre somewhere and gas is in a big tank somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it can be in varying forms. Sometimes it's liquid, sometimes it's in gas form. But yes, uh, yeah, that's basically um, how it works. And the UK's ability to store gas has been diminished because we closed one of our last main gas facilities, which I guess in terms of the transition to low carbon economy mm. makes sense but I, you also have to have completed the transition <laughs> um which i suppose is uh what, one of the more forward-looking conclusions that that you have to reach from this whole uh episode is that if we weren't already convinced because of climate change that we needed to end our reliance on fossil fuels uh our dependence upon imported fossil fuels Mm. is is an enormous sort of security risk and economic risk for us. Uh, And we have to move to an economy where we generate our own renewable green power, you know, close to Mm. where where it's consumed, that we have the ability to store that power when, you know, the the conditions aren't right, that we reduce demand for power and gas by electrifying our homes and businesses, Mm -hmm. by electrifying transport, by reducing demand by making sure we're all better insulated you know all of these are things that have been desperately needed for a long time for yes. many reasons you know lowering energy bills making homes more you know, more comfortable reducing the health impacts of poorly heated homes etc 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 but I, I guess the current situation is bringing that into really sharp contrast and you have to hope one of the outcomes will be a recognition of the need for that mm. in terms of the current situation and uh, how it's playing out in terms of household prices ever since the start of the summer of this year really energy traders have been looking forward to uh, the winter and saying we don't have enough gas supply to give us the cushion that we would normally have entering this period and therefore the price that they've charged suppliers to buy the gas for the winter because suppliers buy gas in advance right uh, has been going up and this has been a sort of, for those of us who've been in the industry, it's been a bit like watching a car crash in slow motion because the, the warning signs have been there for, for a, a very long time. Right. Uh, and it's really only now that suppliers are going out of business mm. uh, in, in large numbers that, that it's garnering the sort of sort of attention that really it deserves. And the impact on households is being slightly well, it significantly actually diminished in the short term because of something called the uh, energy price cap, Mm. which was introduced by Ofgem quite rightly to stop 
large companies profiteering uh, from households not switching supplier. So around about 50% of UK households still say they've never switched supplier. Mm -hmm. And those households will have been on what was called the standard variable tariff. So the the, the tariff that a supplier will put you on uh, if you do nothing. Mm. And the problem was that uh, the standard variable tariff was uh, up until six months ago, well, up until the price cap was introduced, was tended to be extortionally expensive because the suppliers could get away with charging it because they knew the customers weren't going to do anything. And so Ofgen brought in the price cap to say, well, you can still charge a higher amount than is available if you switch to kind of fixed price deals that are on the market, Mm. but you can only uh, charge a certain amount uh, higher. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they, they capped the charges that could be made. And that is protecting households at the moment because uh, wholesale prices have risen very rapidly above the level of the price cap. And wow. so what, what is happening is that uh, a mechanism that was designed to stop energy companies from making extreme profits is now preventing them from charging uh, enough to cover the price of the energy yeah. they're selling to us as households. Uh, and that's where we really feel for many of the, the suppliers in the industry, many of whom are very well run and have done made great inroads in terms of challenging the bigger brands both mm, in terms mm. of their environmental performance but also in terms of their the customer service that they mm. offer and simply because they don't have the access to capital reserves and finance uh, that the bigger players have uh, to cover these almost regulated losses by the diff- because of the difference mm. between the cap and the wholesale price those suppliers are going out of business, you know, at a rate of almost sort of one or two a week at the moment. So they, um, because a couple of weeks ago, you know, there was there was quite a lot of press around whether there were a few of the sort of the bigger, smaller companies going bust. But I haven't sort of heard much recently. A company still, that's still happening at a rate of sort of one or two a week. Yes. So two went out of business yesterday, oh, wow. uh, in, including one. Uh, and, and I guess this is a, a sign of, of just how much pain suppliers are being forced to bear at the moment. One um, was called Pure Planet. Um, mm-hmm. So they were a green supplier. that They were backed 24% by BP. Um, so we had always, uh, I suppose, danced a dance around them. <laughs> uh, the core way they operated was, uh, you know, they were doing everything right. They were sourcing um, power from renewables. They were offsetting their gas. They were helping uh, customers to try to minimize their energy use, which for uh, mm. energy supplier was pretty radical, but they were also backed by BP, yes. which is incredible, like conflict of, you know, emotional conflict, if nothing yes. else. BP made the decision to pull the credit from Pure Planet, which is an indication that they felt that the losses that were being sustained because of the wholesale prices were so great and were likely to continue for such a long time that it was going to take them too long to recoup those losses uh, yeah. and start to sort of generate profit from that. From that business, and overnight that made Pure Planet um, almost unsustainable. Un, wow. And and very sadly, they've um, they're another supplier that's gone out of business. And of course, it's not just the fact that customers are facing uncertainty as they get moved to a different supplier, mm. but it's also all of the people who work for those businesses mm. who are suffering, and all of the you know the the other businesses that they were buying services from. Um, so there's you know broader ripple effects. So it's very sad what's going on at the moment. Yeah. And I've heard, and this is just sort of the odd headline, the odd tweet, something like that, that the the reason a lot of these smaller companies have gone bust is because they were founded on a very dodgy business model. 
I don't know if they were founded when the gas price was cheap and they were just sort of reckoning on it. I don't, I don't, like I say, I didn't look into it. I just, um, is that true? Like it. Um, so I haven't done a count recently, partly because the situation is changing so much, but there were around 70 suppliers in the UK domestic retail market at one point. And it is certainly true that some of those entered without any kind of proper understanding of the energy industry or how it worked or or indeed some of the costs they were going to face in mm-hmm. running their businesses. And so there has, before this energy price crisis kicked in, there was already a trickle of uh, those suppliers going out of business. And they were generally relatively poorly run, I would say. And so, so there was a um, a particular issue with a lot of them where they were buying uh, a kind of out-of-the-box energy uh, supply company, right. which didn't factor in some of the levies that they have to pass on to government, in particular the renewables obligation. And so they would be thinking they were running quite good businesses and then they would get a bill from Ofgem for right. their renewables obligation contribution uh, that they just couldn't afford to pay. And very often that's been one of the signs that businesses were struggling is that Ofgem would publish a list of the suppliers that were failing to meet their renewables okay. obligation and were basically being given the last warning. And, and you know, up until six months ago, that, that was the kind of main indicator that uh, business was going, facing difficulties and a main indicator that the business perhaps ne- hadn't necessarily understood the costs and the, had the uh, expertise that you needed to run mm. a supply business. Now that's no longer the case. The, the businesses that we're seeing going under now are businesses that have, I mean, in, B, in BP's case, in, in Pure Planet's case, they were using BP to do their, I, I believe, to do their trade energy trading. So they have, you can't get much more expertise mm, than BP mm. for all their failures in terms of their action on climate. You know, trading energy is what they do. Mm. And uh, so the criticism of uh, some of these companies has been that they haven't sufficiently well hedged, which is where a company forward buys the energy that they right. sell to their customers uh, and locks in a price at a certain level mm. in order to ensure that they can continue to sell at, um, you know, at, at the rate that they promise the customers that they will do. And the um, businesses are, uh, that are struggling now are businesses that have, uh, in most cases, hedged very well within what would be expected as kind of the, the margins of normality. Mm, so, mm. you know, they've taken the projected worst case for a cold winter and they've, you know, hedged according to those mm. scenarios. What we're seeing now is is price rises that I'm not sure anyone would have forecast. Right. Wholesale gas prices in some markets are up five times what they were uh, a year ago. Wow. So, I mean, if you're <laughs> the, the, the equivalents I've sort of made to try to turn that into kind of everyday terms is, you know, if you were buying a pint of milk, uh, you know, a year ago at one price and, you know, this year it's five times that mm, price. Mm. It, it's just such an astronomic increase and so out of keeping with anything that we've seen mm. previously that it's very difficult to lay the blame at suppliers' doors saying they should have an- anticipated this. Yeah. Uh, and equally, I'm not sure there's anything they could really have done to prevent it. Mm. Um, so it's... it's um. Undoubtedly, there have been you know suppliers that could have done things better, but I I don't believe that um, sort of supplier incompetence is at the heart of what's happening yeah. now. Um, and one of the suppliers on our panel, so Energy, published a 
uh, a chart on their blog recently uh, showing, with one line, it shows the wholesale price of energy. And on the other line, it shows how their um, average tariff has been tracking the wholesale price with a, with a small margin above it. Mm. And you get to the point at which their average, their tariff hit the price cap and their, their, that line mm. levels off. Mm. And the wholesale cost just continues to go up. And you know mm. that the gap there is effectively a loss that they are being forced yes. to take. Um, now, luckily, you know, they've been uh, in part acquired by ESB, which is uh, backed by the Irish government. So So Energy probably in a more stable position than many to absorb those losses. Mm. But if you're a, a supplier that's been uh, operating within the normal constraints of the market, then those losses very rapidly become very challenging for, for them to sustain. Yeah. So is this just a blip and you know, like you said, a sort of post-COVID thing and where there was a fire and all these sorts of things. And and is it expected that the wholesale price will fall again? Yes, but probably not to the levels it was at previously. Okay. Partly because there's just increased global competition and demand for, for gas. I think the longer term picture for households is that energy is going to cost us more. And I suppose philosophically you might argue that that should have been the case for some time because we haven't been including the external what are called the external costs so the cost of climate change for example yeah 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 um now in emotional terms and you know fairness terms there are clearly huge repercussions on mm. on households um particularly lower income homes in terms of coping with those energy costs and one of the things i've been frustrated by recently is what i believe is a uh, I mean, an inadequate response by government to uh, address the impact on those homes that are only just making ends meet at the moment, mm. for whom even uh, at the level of the current price cap, the increased energy costs that we've seen so far is going to manifest itself in people being cold and yes. ill and possibly even, you know, I hate to say it, you know, possibly even dying yeah. this, this, this winter. And, and that is a heartbreaking situation. Mm. I mean, I've heard people, you know, in my audience and things saying, gosh, you know, our bill's suddenly gone up 65 quid a month. And, you know, and if you're in one of those families where suddenly your energy bill's gone up 65 quid a month and you're losing this additional 20 quid a week universal yeah. credit, you know, suddenly that's nearly, what's 150 quid? Yes. But yeah. And, and, you know, the government has announced a, a hardship fund, I think, of 500 million or something, which sounds like a lot until you divide it by the number of households yes, yeah. in the UK uh, and then, you know, play it against the size of the increases. And, and I think the thing that your audience needs to be really aware of is that the price cap is set to track the wholesale prices six months previously. Um, the underlying philosophy was that suppliers would be buying their energy in advance. And so mm. now... The latest forecasts I've seen are for the, the next price cap increase in April to be uh, in the region of 280 to 300 pounds a year, and, and it could be wow. higher. Yeah. Uh, and that's after a 139 pounds increase in October. So come the spring, the price cap is, is you know, going to offer less protection mm. just by virtue of the fact it's going to be higher. Now, the hope is that. Um, as we come out of winter, you know, we must hope for a, a, a mild winter as, as well. Gas prices will start to fall um, and we sh should hopefully end up in a situation where those suppliers that remain in the market will start to offer tariffs that are below the price cap. Mm -hmm. So at that point, the advice for 
customers is going to be the opposite to what it is now because at the moment the best thing you can do financially is to stay put right if you're on a fixed price tariff that was arranged anywhere more than two months ago you're probably going to be benefiting from staying on it particularly as it's like to include exit fees and once it's finished uh, allow yourself to drop onto the standard variable tariff because that will be held at the price cap um, which is the best tariff on the market at the moment by about three or four hundred pounds a year for an average household wow the difficulty is in telling households to do nothing we also have to say be alert because uh, the new price cap level will be announced in mid-february sometime and that that will start being factored into quotes and pricing from through, throughout march from 1st of april if you stay on the price cap you are very likely to find yourself in a situation where you're paying an awful lot more hopefully than you need to so we have to hope that the gas prices level off and mm. drop off drop away and we have to hope that the suppliers that remain in the market are still sufficiently driven by competition and the desire to acquire new customers that they uh, will be offering tariffs that are more competitive mm. than the price cap in order to in any way mitigate yet another huge increase in, yeah. in household bills but as i said what's desperately needed is proper support for those homes for whom you know, a 500 pound increase in energy costs yeah. in the space of 12 months is totally devastating mm. yeah, yeah yeah definitely so specifically in terms of renewables i guess I, I don't know if this is the case but it feels like the case is that a lot of the companies have gone burst have been renewables companies and that you know people who have quite intentionally chosen maybe to switch to a company because of their credentials or because they want to support renewables and things and then these companies are going bust and they're being switched to shell or whoever is that the case and if so why so the the fact that they're going bust has nothing at all really to do with the fact that they um have been offering green tariffs it's more to do with the fact that they are smaller companies because uh, it's the companies that have less access to capital so um that are going bust and therefore they are the challenger brands mm-hmm. and the challenger brands have tended to be the ones that were offering green mm-hmm. electricity products so it, it, it has to be stressed it's not exclusively companies that were offering you know 100 renewable mm-hmm. electricity that that, that, are, that are going bust uh, it is a mix but the prevalence of those that were offering 100 renewable electricity amongst the those that are going bust is just a product of the fact that they are smaller companies that are yeah. going bust and it tended to be the smaller ones that were um using the the greener elements mm. to differentiate themselves from from other other companies so it's, yeah. yeah it's it's not to do with uh renewables per se the reason that companies offering green electricity tariffs are being affected by gas prices which i suppose is, is not necessarily mm. obvious is that the vast majority of uh, green tariffs involve the supplier purchasing electricity through the wholesale markets, which is where the gas the impact mm-hmm. of the gas prices is coming from, and then purchasing renewable energy certificates uh, from generators. So these certificates are issued uh, to a generator whenever the generator puts a unit of green power into the grid. And so uh, the supplier has been able to say, I know that you as an end user, whenever you're taking a unit of power out of the grid, we are ensuring that a equivalent unit of green power has been put into the grid right and then having bought those certificates they're then retired so no one else can claim that mm-hmm. so effectively that's your unit of green power for you as a as a consumer that pre- that mechanism does mean that uh, there is still an exposure to wholesale prices mm-hmm. historically it's what's allowed suppliers to offer green tariffs at very competitive rates mm-hmm. which is 
has been fantastic in opening up uh, the ability to effectively secure your bit of the green mm-hmm. supply in the UK to as many people as possible, which if we look at the overall objective of green tariffs in growing consumer demand for green energy is underpins everything. Mm-hmm. But the challenge is that uh, it also means that those green tariffs are still exposed to the impact of a spike in the price yeah. of natural gas, which is what's happening now. There are uh, a few green suppliers who source some or all of their electricity from by buying it directly from renewable generators, which is a more expensive way of buying it. And those suppliers have historically therefore been more expensive. Mm. Unfortunately, because they tend to be dual fuel suppliers, so they're still selling gas to their customers, they're still facing exposure to mm. the price of price of gas. But those three suppliers are exempt from the price cap. So um, they do have more freedom to be able to so that's good energy ecotricity and who's the other one green energy uk okay not to be confused with another spark that was just called green which has been Mm -hmm. one of the um one of the ones that hasn't unfortunately um not not survived the current current crisis yeah i think one of the things that's a real shame and that's completely the wrong word I mean, obviously, like we're talking about probably, you know, thousands more people being plunged into fuel poverty and things like that, which is just horrendous. But on a, on a kind of wider context in terms of renewables and a transition and things, it feels like it's really shaken people's confidence in companies other than, I guess, the big six who are going to be the ones who can weather this storm and, as you say, have the, have the um, reserves and all that kind of thing. You know, one of my concerns is that people are going to be like, oh, I just, you know, I, I really want to support renewables, but I'm just going to go back to whoever because I, they don't look like they're going to go bust. Yes, uh, I think that's to be expected that we'll, we'll have that. I suppose that's where organisations like Big Clean Switch come in, because one of the things that we uh, offer is uh, reassurance to people who switch to us that if they ever have a problem with their new supplier, um, they can get in touch with us and kind of ask us about it. In addition, thankfully, only one of the suppliers on our panel has gone so far. But we, within 24 hours, emailed every customer that had switched to that supplier, provided them with guidance about what to do. Oh, amazing. And I think services like Big Clean Switch that provide that extra layer of reassurance mm. and customer support so that you don't feel as though switching supplier is a leap into the unknown yes. are, are going to be even more important as we go forward and mm. a lot of the switches that we generate are through partnerships with companies like ikea or sky and uh, there again the reassurance of um switching through a, a brand that you know and trust mm. is going to be is going to be really important as well and you know i think the same goes for, for you for your users you know you have a trusted relationship with with them and you've done the due diligence on us and you know that we have this additional kind of customer service support and can take action uh, to, to provide additional levels of advice to people. And I think that's going to be more, more important than ever. Mm. And I suppose the other thing that people have to remember is the green suppliers that do weather the storm, and we still believe that there will be a good number of those, are by virtue of having weathered the yes, storm. Yes, yeah, uh, solid. You know, uh, that you don't get many greater stress tests. So yes. I think if they, you know, if, if, if you're switching to them, next spring you can be pretty confident that they're gonna be around you know for a while because um hopefully we'll be at that point through the worst of it yeah um for anyone who in the unfortunate position where their energy supplier does go bust so there was quite a lot of coverage over i think it was people with green um and then where they were transferred to 
shell or somebody were they it was it 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 felt like a very um mismatched uh uh, you know whoever they were switched to so so if what happens if I'm with somebody they go bust I automatically get transferred to another supplier to you know and I get an uninterrupted but am I am I stuck with that supplier then for a set amount of time can I move straight away well so this is where some of the yeah frustration comes in for those of us who are trying to take action on climate mm. and you know my parents are actually in this situation where they switched to a supplier because they were a green supplier and, and they've now gone into administration and been moved to British Gas. The difficulty is that because there is such a price penalty now, if you switch away from the standard variable tariffs, uh, and you right. can't you can't generally switch to a supplier's standard variable tariff, particularly right. because they're all loss making now. So that's the last thing uh, yeah, any yeah, yeah. supplier wants is to bring on a new customer on the standard variable. You are kind of stuck, <laughs> uh, at least until the spring, uh, right. unless you're willing to pay. A lot more, and uh, in terms of the supplies, the tariffs that we we can offer now, we're we're now only able to offer a tariff from UK Tristy at the moment, which is a lot higher than you would be paying on uh, a standard variable. So, whilst it pains us, and you know, obviously as a price comparison service, this is mad for me to be saying this, and not something we ever thought we would find ourselves uh, in a position to have to do. From a financial perspective, we really can't advise people to do anything other than sit tight and then switch away to a greener alternative as soon as the market recovers some sense of mm. normality. And, you know, I'm sure you'll be, you know, communicating this to your, to, to your users when that happens. Uh, we also have a mailing list. If you go to the news section of our website, you can sign up to, uh, and we will be emailing everyone on that list uh, as soon as, you know, they're in a position to, 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 to move again. So that might be sort of springtime next year to start. Looking. Yeah, so uh, particularly keep an eye out around late February, early March. The first sign of it happening will be a slew of news coverage, I'm sure, about the price, the level that Ofgem sets the new price cap at. And uh, then as the price cap starts to take effect in terms of the projections, then the new tariffs uh, will show through in terms of the savings comparisons. So right. mid-March mid is likely to be the, the, the period where sort of you need to start thinking about switching. Am I right in saying that regardless of whether you switch or not, it sounds like in, in the spring, your prices are going to go up. So either you're on a standard variable tariff and the price gap goes up and, and that goes up, or you're on a standard variable tariff and the price gap goes up. So you look around for a more competitive tariff, but it's probably still going to be a little bit more than what you're already paying. I think that's very likely. Yes. Okay. I th I th unfortunately, it's difficult to know for certain, but the gas prices are so high right now and the forward prices uh, that, that com companies are buying to buy gas in a year's time are still a lot higher than we've mm. seen previously. So unless we have a very mild winter and Russia really sort of, I'm trying to avoid saying takes its foot off the, off the <laughs> but releases more gas uh, than expected and, um, you know, supplies from elsewhere kind of increase, then I think we are looking... Uh, at higher energy costs mm. for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And, you know, at some point, the costs of transitioning to a, a greener, more resilient energy system were probably going to play through in our energy prices mm. anyway. I would like to see that happening backed by a properly well thought through structure of support for homes mm. that can't afford it. Um, I would like to see that starting to flow through as soon as possible because it's the only way in the long term we'll be able to protect ourselves from these kinds of price shocks. And, mm. um, you know, as supply of fossil fuels 
uh, as you know, fossil fuels become harder to extract as the mm. global demand for them uh, remains high. Um, it's difficult to foresee a situation in which this this doesn't become a recurring theme. So yeah. So do you think, hopefully, this tricky period, and then do you think that this will accelerate the transition in that you know the, the big companies will be like actually we really as you say need these more secure supplies and we need to be less reliant on foreign or will they just be like put more pressure on places like cambo you know which is this big oil field that's that's um you know in potentially happening in scotland are we going to be short-sighted enough to go yeah let's carry on with and do that or do you think we're going to hold our nerve and push for renewables that is the million or probably you know trillion dollar uh <laughs> question my sincere hope is that that the, it, it's mainly government that needs to drive this that the government sees this not just as the the necessity of it in order to avoid long term our exposure to fossil fuel prices commodity prices but also sees the enormous opportunity that it offers in terms of really driving a a thriving green economy that can create tens of thousands of jobs that can establish us as you know global leaders in mm. the export of technology that can solve the world's biggest problem. You know, it's um, one of my frustrations with the um, sort of green agenda for a long time is that it's always been presented as this left versus right uh, um, de- debate, whereas in fact the arguments are as strong whichever side of the mm. spectrum you're, yeah. you're on. You know, in, in some ways, uh, and this isn't, you know, doesn't tie in with my own philosophy at all, but the uh, green economy is a fundamentally nationalistic one. It is about localizing your mm. uh, kind of generation and uh, ensuring thriving local economies. And, mm. and that is, you know, at the heart of, uh, you know, Tory philosophy. And as much as it's, you know, appeals to, to kind of people who may be sort of left of centre leaning. So I really hope that the conclusion from, not just uh, the portions of the press and the public that you would expect, but but across the board, is that the only way that we can avoid this happening in the long term is to invest and to ensure that we've got uh, an economy that is both climate ready and also uh, secure and resilient in mm. terms of our own energy supplies. Yeah, and probably slightly unrelated to this, but it does relate to gas. Ecotricity have got this big ad campaign out at the moment about you know save our gas boilers and they're going to produce more uh air quotes green gas which as i understand is is sort of grass and then converted in biodigesters into gas is that correct yes i'm so conflicted but i don't know like surely we should be transitioning off gas entirely but yeah i don't do you have any thoughts on that or so it's been a long time since we crunched the numbers on this and when we did, it was very much, well, I mean, it wasn't literally a beer map, but it wasn't far off, yeah. uh, a back of beer map calculation. But, but um, we took the numbers that Ecotricity were projecting in terms of uh, the yield from energy crops that they would need in order to kind of power biogas generators, then extrapolated that to say, well, how much would you need in order, in order to satisfy domestic uh, household and business demand for gas? And the conclusion that you come to quite quickly is that we would have to uh, give over a, a vast, vast amount of our agricultural land to solely growing energy crops to be mm. placed in 
you know, biodigesters mm, mm. used to generate gas. And, and in reality, particularly because of the pressures on global food supply chains mm. that we're seeing at the moment, that's, that's not a realistic prospect. And the alternative, I worry, is that we will end up in a situation as we have with palm oil where mm. developing countries see a uh, opportunity to generate revenue from giving over their own land space to mm. growing these crops to be shipped around the world in order yeah. to, you know I, it, none of that makes sense to me in terms yes. of solving the problems that we'd have to solve i think the gas answer is a more complicated one that is likely to involve a mix of things of which some biogas mm-hmm. will be a part because actually generating biogas from sewage has been something we've been mm. doing very successfully for a long time uh, other waste products while we should be uh, seeking to minimize them are still unavoidable mm. so in those cases i think it makes sense to be um, using those to generate gas and contributing to the gas grid and um, I think hydrogen, where it's generated using renewable electricity, um, mm. will have a part to play. Uh, and then, of course, demand reduction in mm. making our homes and businesses better insulated, running uh, more efficient appliances, et cetera, yeah. will also play its part. And electrification being, is, the, is the final one. So uh, moving away from mm. gas to use things like air sources or ground source heat pumps yeah. to, 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 heat, to heat our homes. So it's a much more, I think, nuanced uh, picture that doesn't lend itself quite as well to sound bites. Yes. Um, but, so yeah, I, I'm not sure. Sort of, uh, you know, a, a wholesale saving of our uh, of our gas boilers is necessarily where we need to go. Just felt like a really weird campaign. Uh, yeah, I just sort of because my husband mentioned it to me, and I was like, yeah, I, I'm not sure about. That. <laughs> it felt really weird. No, green, green gas has its place, but it's not the not the answer. It's not the magic. Well, there isn't a, a magic bullet, unfortunately, is there? No. So advice for customers, as it stands now, October 2021, sit tight where you are and keep your eye out. So if we sign up to your newsletter, you'll be sort of flagging to people when is a good time to move again. So even if we've been switched to one of the people, companies that we would rather not be supporting, financially speaking, sit tight. Well, I mean, don't be afraid to get a quote. Uh, And, you know, we, we do have customers who are both lucky enough to be in a relatively affluent situation and terrified by the climate crisis mm. for whom switching to a green tariff is you know the number one thing that they want, yes. to, want, to do, want to do we are constantly looking to expand the panel and so do check for a quote to see you know how much more you might be paying and if you can you know if you if you feel comfortable with that there still is an option but mm. for most people uh, from a financial perspective anyway um, yeah. yeah the answer is sit tight until March, keep an eye on your inbox for an email from us mm. uh, and then make sure that you act very quickly um, when the time comes. And unfortunately, be prepared to pay more. Pretty so start anyway. budgeting now for a future yeah. in which the energy costs are a higher proportion of our overall household spend. Yeah. You said right at the very beginning about you doing this sort of due diligence in terms of the green credentials of the companies that are coming on. Has this meant that that you're adding an extra layer of almost... I mean, I don't know how much digging in you can do in terms of financial due diligence of these companies, because I can imagine a lot of people thinking, well, I want to switch, but are they going to go under if I switch? Do you know? It was already a part of what we do. And, um, you know, I I don't want to invite, uh, you know, to jinx us, but I would like to think that's one of the reasons why only one of our suppliers has so far Mm. kind of gone into administration. There is a limit to 
the level of scrutiny you can give to a private company's mm-hmm. finances and in addition a limit to the uh, degree of uh, proofing that they themselves can yes. give themselves as we've seen uh, but yes uh, we will continue to scrutinize the the finances of the suppliers that, that we work with to try to give our customers the, the best possible confidence that that they will you know be sustainable in every sense in the longer mm. term I guess the other thing just to mention, because we touched on it briefly, but didn't quite close out, is uh, what Ofgem calls its um, supplier of last resort process, right? which protects households in the event that your supplier does go bust. So whilst for those of us who've switched to a green tariff and find ourselves back with a, a you know what we might call a brown tariff, that is an extremely you know, un- unwanted outcome. There is a process in place to ensure that you won't get cut off. That any account balance you've got uh, in terms of credit on your account is retained and passed over to. Oh, does it? Because I've heard a lot of people saying, "Oh, God, yeah. I've got five hundred quid in credit, and what if they go bust?" Like, yeah, so so that's protected, and you can't be um, you can't be penalised if you choose to switch away from the supplier that you've been uh, switched over to. So, oh, so you wouldn't have to pay any exit fees. Exit fees, no. So if, even if you had an exit fee on your old tariff, you you, you can't have an exit fee on the new. Oh, okay. If you are being transferred over, then um, suppliers in receipt of these new customers that are being transferred are going to be very keen to try to sign you up to a fixed price tariff. Be very careful before you do. It's almost certain that the fixed price tariff is not as good as their variable rate. So uh, because the variable rate is held at the price cap and the fixed price tariff will be based on wholesale prices right now. It wasn't from a um, supplier going bust, but I did hear one example of someone who was moving house and into a property uh, that was on supply with uh, one of the bigger companies. And the list of options they were presented with were, were only fixed price tariffs. There was no mention of the fact that if they did nothing, they would be put on a much oh, cheaper really? tariff. So, uh, and I guess if you're looking at these companies that are sustaining these losses on one sense, it's understandable mm. that they would be doing everything they can. But as a from a kind of consumer fairness point of view, I think there's likely to be a lack of transparency about the fact that uh, mm. The variable rate is your best option right now. So if you are in the position where your supplier's gone bust and you're transferred over to a new supplier, do just keep an eye out and make sure it's their standard variable tariff that you end up on. How long are they trying to fix people in for at the moment, though? Because I would imagine it would only be six months because then they're anticipating the prices. Well, no, the, 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 uh, a, a fixed tariff is generally a minimum of 12 months fixed. Um, so you're effectively baking in high costs for 12 months if you switch to it. And in general... Does that mean that you'll avoid this pricing increase in the spring, though? No, because the fixed, uh, so the way it's tended to work is that the fixed price tariffs are a reflection of wholesale prices right now, because suppliers don't know that they're going to win the customers with the fixed price tariffs until they've won them. So they will set the price at what they think they can buy their price at now. And then when the customer comes in, they will buy the energy for that period now. Um, so the cheapest fixed price deals are two-year deals because there's an anticipated drop-off in the gas prices in a year's time and beyond. Right. But that's why fixed price tariffs at so now are so much higher than the price cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's safe to stay stay put, and why it's you know if you are in that position, it's important to make sure that you're you know. I don't know whether there will be suppliers that are somehow offering you know loss-making fixed price tariffs. It seems very unlikely to me. Uh, at the moment so scrutinize the fixed price tariffs very oh. carefully before accepting one and if you do want to make a comparison we do have a manual quote calculator that can be downloaded from our blog to help you plug in some numbers if you oh, okay uh, and so um yeah do, do make sure you do the do the number punching before signing up yeah brilliant 
So I'm quite annoyed now because my usual, you know, if I go and do talks and things, my usual, you know, just one thing I'd like you to love you to all go and do at the end is to, to switch energy tariff. And I don't kind of feel like I can I can say that at the moment. Um, obviously, it's still a positive thing to do environmentally. But, you know, when there's such turbulence and that kind of thing. So is there anything else? energy wise obviously like you know saving energy but I feel like we've all been told you know turn your thermostat down one degree put your jumper on all those kinds of things if if you've you know if you'd like to switch but you can't is it worth emailing the people that you're with saying I wish you had a greener I don't know is there something else we can do other than switch yeah I mean as always there's 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 so much we can do in terms of using our voices as consumers Mm. to, to to influence climate change uh, some of the stuff that's always sounded quite pedestrian in terms of how we live our lives at home, it's, it comes into play here. But, you know, making sure that you're not falling into those things of, uh, you know, turning the heating on to dry some clothes, etc. Mm. Because it's not just influencing climate, it's also influencing gas demand. And therefore, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so all of the smaller behaviours you can make at home, you know, make, making sure you're using uh, one of my favorite ones was you know drying clothes in the room that the sun's going to fall onto oh yeah 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 so there's lots of stuff like that i think using our lobbying voice and writing letters is um, as important as ever i would say supporting some of the environmental ngos and the you know work they're doing and really lobbying government hard to act properly at, at cop and making mm. sure that the, you know the, the climate conference kind of comes out uh, with a good result and then uh, we are still in the, you know, actively switching businesses uh, who aren't protected by the price cap and, you know, still have to manage their costs and thankfully are under ever greater supply with uh, pressure within their supply chains to switch to renewables. So okay. um, there is still something that businesses could should be doing. It's more important than ever for them to control costs by, you know, get, getting a good deal. So we're still working with many businesses to help them to switch to green energy. So if you are an employee of a business yeah, or running really a business, um, then, uh, you know, you can still use your influence there to, to ensure that there's a, and, you know, very often a business switching to, to a greener tariff will have, you know, that much bigger an impact than mm. a, a household can. So in some ways that's something we should, you know, we should all be doing anyway. Um, so yes, do continue to lobby for businesses to make the switch to renewables, even if, households are on pause at the moment so so the the business side of things is a bit different and that's they they could potentially still save some money by switching to renewable tariffs yeah well uh, it's less to do with them saving money but because all energy prices have now increased it's it's about them finding the most competitive yeah yeah uh, now and and, uh the equivalent of the standard variable in business terms is called deemed rates or out of contract rates they, they are being constantly revised upwards, but um, uh, for some suppliers are now kind of approaching 40 pence per kilowatt hour. That's compared with the prices households were paying a year ago of sort of 50, 14, wow, 15 yeah, pence. Yeah. You know, if you're a business and you're multiplying that every, for every single kilowatt hour of mm. uh, power that you're using, the increases in costs are huge. So switch to a fixed price tariff where, you know, you're, you're going to get rates of, say, 25 to 30p per kilowatt hour just to ensure that you're not really exposed to those high Mm. rates. And of course, because we can switch you to a green tariff at the same time. Okay, so households stay put, but encourage your businesses to to switch at the moment. Okay, good. (laughs) Brilliant. Thank you so much, John. You've kind of... um, hopefully well you have for me made it made me understand a bit more kind of what's going on and get my head around it and feel a bit more 
confident talking to people about this and um and that kind of thing so hopefully that's been really helpful for people as well oh good well uh, you know as ever uh, if people do have questions then they, they're free to reach out to us and we'll do our best to answer them so brilliant and we'll point them to it's bigcleanswitch.org isn't it and there's your mailing list to sign up to there that people can um hopefully then sort of stay on top of this and stay alert to the best time to switch and things that's right yeah brilliant thank you so much right, for your time. great to you again jen been listening to Sustainable-ish, you wonderful sack of loveliness, with me, Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is. I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small, every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you have, do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time.